Hello, and welcome to a Waypoint Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to it. Today is a special day because we do things here called 10 Talks. Now, 10 Talks are a complete rip-off of TED Talks. <laughs> In that, it looks pretty similar for a start, but also it's a chance for us to really get to hear people, kind of their testimony from the church family. That's really important for me as one of the leaders at the church, is to hear what God's doing amongst you guys. Fresh testimony is so important because we know then that God is moving, he's active in his church. It actually lifts us and encourages us. Today we have Sarah and we have Pete a little bit later on as well. Two very different things that they're going to bring us, um, but I think they overlap quite a lot. So um, can we give them a round of applause? They're feeling a little bit nervous. So Sarah, up you come. Sarah coordinates our youth work, has done for the last few months, doing a fantastic job. I want to pray for you. Thank you. All right. Lord God, I just pray for um, my sister in Christ, Sarah. Thank you so much for her. Thank you for her heart towards young people. Lord, thank you for her heart towards you. I pray right now that you'll fill her with your spirit to overflowing. That everything that she says actually is what you say. And that we have a chance to hear what it is you want to say to our hearts this morning through Sarah. In your powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, a year and a half ago, I gave birth to my fifth child, a little girl. She was peacefully sleeping. Four weeks later, we had her funeral, and I sat at the front of the church with my husband and my four children next to her little coffin. And we spoke to our children about Joseph. We spoke about how this guy called Joseph in the Bible, in Genesis, had ups and downs in life. How one minute he had a wonderful coat, and the next minute he found himself in a pit. And throughout the story of Joseph in Genesis, it says the Lord was with Joseph through those ups and downs. We sat with our children and we spoke to them about how this was one of our downs, but we knew that God was going to be with us. Just as he was with Joseph, Joseph even went on to feed the nation. And with that in mind, I want to tell you the story of the food bank run. It's quite a quick story, so you're just going to have to keep up, I'm afraid. (laughs) We came out of hospital um, the day um, day after she was born, and Mark and I felt really, really broken. We sat in the car, and we knew that we had to dig deep because we had four other children to um, bring up. We went and picked the children up from school, and we came back um, home. And we sat there, beginning our recovery, physically and mentally. We had a knock at the door, and it was our neighbour, Ethel. And she had a meal for us. It was big enough for the whole family, plus grandparents as well, that were there supporting us. And she said for the next two weeks, she would give us, um, she had provided meals from people from around the community to come round and give us in the evenings. It was amazing. Just what we needed. That night, I took uh, my son to bed, and he said to me, Mummy... I think we should come up with a list of 100 things to do to make us smile again. I said, great idea, Jack. We need that. We'll do it tomorrow. As I was leaving, he said, Mummy. I was like, Jack. (laughs) He said, "Um, I think we should put on the list that we should help people like they've helped us and that you should um, be on TV as well. I said, all right, Jack. (laughs) Good night. I like the pay it forward one. Not so sure about the TV one, but good night. Anyway, two weeks went, we had the food, and Mark went back to work, and the children recovered from chickenpox, don't go there, and, <laughs> and um, I was left at home on maternity leave without a baby in my arms, thinking, what am I going to do? 
I looked at Jack's list, it was full of amazing things to do for the family, but it's the one pay it forward that really rang in my mind. Now, at this point, I want to tell you that I'm not a very good runner, <laughs> but I am part of Fair and Running Club, and um, part of their leadership by default rather than ability. And the chairman of the running club, James, had come up with this idea a few years back about changing one of our training runs on a February night to put backpacks on our backs, run to a food bank, and donate. He sorted out the route, and I did all the other stuff, and it was a great evening. When Katie died, I just pulled out of everything, just couldn't cope. But it was February now, and I thought, OK, this could be the one that we could tick off the pay it forward on this Jack's list. So I phoned up James, nothing had been sorted. So between us, me and James and Claire from the Hub, we sorted out that night, and it was incredible. Hundreds of people came to the Hub, donated food, but as I sat and I looked at the food, I could almost see the families receiving the food. It was like how we had received the meals ourselves a couple of weeks earlier. And I think it was a moment of madness, but actually, I think it was God. I went around that night talking to everybody, going, we need to make this bigger. This is amazing. This is incredible. We need to make the food bank run bigger. Anyway, the excitement went, and time passed on. And um, I filled my time up with things like packing for the Ukraine war, war and also um, went to Glasgow and um, filmed a TV show <laughs> for Jack's List. And then I thought, I'd better actually look at the emails of the club. To my surprise, there was an email from a guy in Portsmouth called Craig who ran a clothing company called Runner. He'd sent this email in March. It was now June. But we arranged to meet, and um, he had heard that I wanted to make the food bank run bigger. That meeting led to another meeting with James, Craig, Mark came along in um, James' studio, and the guys all spoke about making it bigger with the local clubs, such as Stubbington and Portsmouth clubs. And I stopped everybody and said, no, I think we need to make this nationwide. They looked at me a bit crazy, <laughs> but I said, look, I've got nothing else to do, please let me try. It was at that point, James turned to me and asked me a question that I was not expecting. He said to me, Sarah, what do you think God would think about this? Now, this was a running club meeting, not a church meeting. God wasn't spoken at running club jobs. God was spoken at church meetings. It was not what I was expecting. But I thought about it, and I said, I think you'd be happy because it's helping other people. So he said, go for it. So September came, and I sat at home, my kids were all back at school. I thought, I better get this idea out there. But how am I going to get just an idea about running with bags to your food bank and donate? How would I do that? So I thought, I'll start with the Christian organizations. They will help. I phoned many, many Christian organizations. They all told me that it wasn't something they did, that running wasn't the things that they did at that time and well you know best of luck to me kind of thing and I sat at home and I cried I literally sobbed my eyes out I thought how am I going to do this I made myself a cup of tea because I'm British and um <laughs> and I sat and I prayed and I I literally just cried out to God in the dining room table and I thought I don't know how to do this how am I going to get an idea to so many people and so I typed into Google UK running clubs 
And did you know there's over 3,500 of them? <laughs> and I picked up the phone, and I phoned the first one. And after a long conversation, he said yes. He said, yes, I would do a run with my club, and we would donate to the local food bank. After a couple of hours, um, the list has started to grow. A week later, I met with Rachel, and she said to me, you need a logo. <laughs> she designed a logo for me, and then we ended up having a website, social media, um, and all the things that people could communicate to us. And daily, I was just on the phone, messaging people or phoning people up, asking them to do a food bank run in February. Little did I know that everybody would go crazy on the idea, and they didn't want to wait till February, they wanted to do it in September, and they wanted November, in December. And as I phoned people, the races started happening, and all over the country, different people started running, and I think there's a few photos of some of them. Um, I had a panic at this point, <laughs> because it was getting bigger than I could imagine, and it was happening straight away. So I panicked that the food banks wouldn't actually appreciate what we were doing. So one of the races I had seen online, and the pictures were just coming up on Facebook daily, 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 was one in um, Swindon. And I worked out that they'd run to a church that had a food bank. So I thought, I'll phone up the food bank to find out what's been going on, how they felt about it. The pastor answered, and I just said to him, what did you think? Was it okay? Is it the kind of thing that's going to work? And he said to me, he said, Sarah, what you don't understand is that I run with the running club that came last night. And I've been trying for many, many years to get them to come into my church. I've been praying that they would come, and they just hadn't. The food bank run had the chairman of the club phone me and ask if we could go to the church. And last night, my prayers were answered because the church was filled with all my running friends doing a food bank run. Not only that, he was in the middle of a meeting with the other pastors in the area, and they sat on the phone, and they prayed for me, all four of them. That was the confirmation I needed to continue. What I didn't realize was the press involvement that would come as well, and um, it turned out that weekly, daily, I was making um, radio interviews, doing podcasts, ended up in magazines, um, even going to the national running show in the NEC and speaking there about the food bank run. Amazingly, the training that I've had from the game show earlier on in the year had prepared me for all that. They taught me about doing retakes and about bouncing off the presenter and actually answering questions. I didn't know that that training was going to come into use when Jack came up with that idea. It was incredible, really was incredible. Um, February came and the runs were just going absolutely crazy. Um, I think there's another slide with just um, different runs going on across the country. It was amazing. And even to the point that um, the run that we did in February for the Fair and Running Club um, next door, it was absolutely buzzing. It was full. It was packed out with runners. I think in a minute there's, there's another photo of our actual run. It was just an amazing period of time. And um, Craig, the guy from Runner, he's a numbers man, and he um, decided to do a snapshot of what the movement had achieved at that point in February. Um, and I think it was 550 clubs had gotten bored by February. 77,000 kilograms of food had been donated. 
which equals to 336,870-something meals provided for families. Um, It's truly incredible. Thousands and thousands of runners got on board, and they're still doing it now. Um, but on reflection of all this, it wasn't the numbers, it wasn't um, seeing all this. This is the run, actually, that was next door. We even had you and Thomas come, actually, and, and run with us um, and help us with that night. Um, it was the question that was given to me near the start of all this that really kept on playing on my mind. The one that James looked at me and said, what do I think God thought of all this? And I would answer it differently now. Because I would answer it that I believe God was with us throughout it all. That he saw a broken family and he fed us and he gave us love. He prepared us with things like a game show. And then he took an idea and he used us to help feed people in need at the time of the, um, the prices increasing in our country, at a time where people needed to be fed. And I just want to say that whenever you feel broken, don't feel too broken for God to use you, like he did for our family, through this movement. And I don't understand why there is down times in life, but the one thing that uh, my parents have taught us and always quoted to us as we were growing up was Romans 8, that we know that all things work together for good. Amen. Can I pray for you? Father God, what an amazing story. Your ways are not our ways. And we don't always understand why these things happen, Father. But I thank you for Sarah. I thank you for Mark and that family. Thank you for their willingness to stand on your promises, that you are faithful, that you work all things together for the good of those who love you. Jesus, you're continuing to do that, and I pray for your healing over this family. I thank you so much for their love for you and who they are to us at this family here. Continue to use Sarah mightily as you do and as you are. Allow her to have ears to hear and see the big things, the, the conceptual ideas, the big vision, the stuff that you want to do through her. Father, just bless her, I pray in your powerful names. Amen. Thanks, Sarah. Round of applause. Pete. Pete's been part of our church for a couple of years, three years, four years? Uh, yeah, member. Yeah, member and... Uh, Two little kids, I won't, I won't steal your thunder. It's been in my life group as well, so it's good to get to know you over the last couple of years. Can I pray for you? Sure, Father, I just thank you for Pete. Thank you for who he is in you. And uh, Lord, just fill him now with your spirit. Inspire us, Lord, and uh, inspire him, I pray in your name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I so wish I'd gone first. How do I? I'm not quite sure. Um, I've got a multimedia um, presentation this morning, so <laughs> it will perhaps make sense. We'll see. Um, God works in amazing ways, doesn't he? Um, what I've got to say is 
completely different to what Sarah's got to say, but it absolutely fits in, and we didn't collude, honest. Um, I'm going to talk about something that's been termed chaotic discipling. Now, if you like the title, then that's good, well done. And if you don't like it, it's all right, because Jim made it up, and you can go and talk to him <laughs> afterwards. Um, the most difficult thing I'm going to say, I think, is defining what chaotic discipling is. And if you can bear with me through this first minute, hopefully we'll be okay for the rest of the morning. So chaos is, it's, it's random, it's unplanned, it just kind of happens. Uh, it can be a bit messy, it can be a bit all over the place. As Jim said, I've got two small kids, it describes my lounge 99% of the time. That's what chaos is. And discipling, we've kind of heard a little bit about that this morning. Obviously, it's the, the root word disciple is in there. So a disciple is someone that, that follows Jesus, that tries to live a life that pleases him and, and develop characters and, and practices that, that bring them closer to God. So that's a disciple. So we've heard about discipleship with the discipleship pairings that Mark talked about. So discipleship is becoming more like God. Discipling is encouraging other people to be more like God. So it's kind of the, the slight pushing of people towards being like God. And if we're thinking about um, a passage in the Bible that talks about making disciples, I'm sure most of us will automatically go to a really famous passage in the Bible that talks about making disciples. And we're going to read that this morning. So if you want to open your Bibles, turn them on to 1 Kings 17. And I'm going to read the first verse, and then I'm going to jump down to verse um, 8 to 16. And it is on the screen, so you don't need to, uh, to have it with you. But I do encourage you, if you've got a Bible, to, to open it. Because just because it's on the screen doesn't mean to say it's actually in the Bible. Just putting that out there. So the background to this is there's two big players. Ahab is the king of Israel. He's not a nice guy. Let's put it that way. And Elijah is God's prophet. God is a nice guy. Sorry, Elijah is a nice guy. He's doing what God wants him to do. And there's a bit of a standoff as to who's in charge. And so 1 Kings 17 verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe. In case you were wondering what a Tishbite was, it's someone from Tishbe. Bible helps out people like me who sometimes need to think about these things. So Elijah said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next couple of years, except by my word. So basically Elijah is saying, look, God's in charge. It's not going to rain. So there's going to be no water. So the crops are going to fail and there's going to be a drought and there's going to be a famine. And that's what happens. And middle bit that I'm missing out, Elijah goes off, basically hides because Ahab pretty much would kill him, I guess. And then pick it up in verse 8. So the word of the Lord came to him, that's Elijah again. Go up once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I could have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and 
Bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil. And I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Good advice for all of us. Go home and do as you've said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. At this point, I assume some people will have questions. One of them may be, what's this story about Elijah got to do with chaotic discipleship? That would be a good question. The other one question that people may have is, I thought you were going to read the really famous passage from the Bible about making disciples. I did say I'd do that, I just didn't say that I'd do it first, but I'm going to do it now. It's the Great Commission from Matthew 28, so if you want to pop over to there, I'm just going to read three verses, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So if we're talking about making disciples, we're talking about discipling, we're on slightly firmer ground now. Most of us will know the Great Commission, but it's quite a big thing, isn't it? The Great Commission, great, it's... It's a big thing. It's about going to all nations and making disciples. That's huge. Does anyone feel that they can do that? Most of us are just, you know, little old me. I can't fulfill that. The Great Commission, surely, is for, you know, the the enormous spiritual heroes that we have, the Billy Grahams or the, the Jay Johns or the Jim Privets. It's for those type of people. It's not for me and what I can do. Well, I think it is. I think it is for each one of us. And I suspect we all agree with it, but maybe we don't know how to put it into practice. And that's what my view of chaotic discipling is all about. Let me talk about this. Excuse me a second. This concept was introduced to me a couple of years ago. Um, I had it described as the angle scale. There's a picture on the, uh, the screen as well. Um, I've, I've looked online recently, and there's lots of different versions of this, so mine isn't necessarily the best if you do look at this. But don't worry really about what the numbers mean, and don't worry that it's got this name. But this kind of describes people's relationship with God. So here, what I've termed minus 10, these are people that are completely against God, don't want to know him, think if he exists at all, he's horrible and vindictive. They're as far from God as they could possibly be. 
That's the minus 10s. The plus 10 here is completely the opposite. So those are people who are really in tune with God, really are disciples. They're dirty because they've been walking in God's feet, walking behind him as disciples should. Probably the only person truly on a plus 10 is, come on, if somebody in church asks a question, what's the answer? Jesus. Jesus, thank you. This is probably Jesus. And then we've got a point here in the middle, zero. And I'm going to define this as conversion or giving your life to Christ, becoming a Christian. So can you see, don't worry about, you know, putting individual people in, in various places and don't worry about, you know, what's the difference between minus five and minus four. Not bothered about all that. But can you see there's a, a movement of people not being against God to being completely in tune with him? When I talk about discipling, well, all I'm talking about is moving people along that scale. So I guess if we're in the negative numbers to zero and we're pushing them over there, maybe that's evangelism. But I think if we're going to make disciples, we're, we're in this positive bit. If someone's in the negative bit, we've actually got to move them there anyway. So I think discipling covers it all. So if we're discipling people, we're just moving people along this scale. Sorry, let me just reorganise myself. So how can we think about this scale in terms of the Great Commission and us, who aren't the Billy Grahams and the Jay Johns, and most of us aren't the Jim Privets? Well, I'm going to suggest that we can all do this. For those that didn't see, I've just propped up one end. So the scale now isn't flat. It's going slightly downhill. And I think in every interaction we have to people, in every part of our lives, we can fulfill the Great Commission by making it easier for people to move that way down the scale. We certainly don't want to be propping up the other end. If we're grumpy and horrible and cantankerous and you know, upsetting people all the time, and we're a Christian, that's not bringing people towards God. But what we can do in everything that we do, in all the little things, we can move people down that scale. Sorry, up the scale to the positive numbers, downhill. We can make it easier for people. And if we view discipling that way, then I can tie in the reading I did from 1, Corinthians, uh, from 1 Kings 17. Because when we look at ourselves, we, we, we think we can't take these masses of people and move them along like you Billy Grahams can. But we can take individual people along because there's always something in the house. When Elijah spoke to the widow and said, give me some bread, she basically said, I've got nothing. I've got no bread. Elijah had been sent there, God commanded him, that was what God asked him to do, to be fed by the widow, and she said, I can't feed you, I can't fulfill that command. I've got nothing in the house. Oh, well, there's a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, but that's not going to do it, is it? That's not going to feed you. That's not going to fulfill God's command. But actually, we've all got something in the house. There's always something with each one of us that can help people move along this scale. And I'm going to mention three things 
big things, and then I'm going to go practical, and then I need to stop talking, because I'll probably use my 10 minutes anyway. First of all, we've all got the Holy Spirit. As we become Christians, the Holy Spirit becomes part of our lives. The Holy Spirit is God. I'm not going to talk about the Trinity today. We haven't got time. But God is in us. And if God gives us a command, he's with us to actually help fulfill that command. So we've got the Holy Spirit in the house. The second thing we have is spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about a list of spiritual gifts, different types. And then it finishes with, in verse 11... And all these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So God looks at us and says, right, I've got all these things that I can give, all these gifts. And for you, I'm going to give you these gifts. And for you, I'm going to give you these gifts. And for you, I'm going to give you these gifts. God wouldn't be doing that unless they were there to help us fulfill his commands. One of which is the Great Commission, to move people along this scale. And the third thing we've all got in the house is ourselves, you. And some people might think, what, what have I got? I'm just little old me. I'm far from perfect. Got all sorts of issues, all sorts of problems. How can God use me? But I believe God created each one of us exactly how he wanted us to be with all those weaknesses, with all those failures, with all those difficulties. Psalm 139 talks about God knitting us together in our mother's womb. And I think God has created us to do the work that he wants, of which this is part. If you've been at Waypoint the last few weeks, you will have heard this phrase, I think every week for the last two or three weeks, think globally, act locally and I think this is what I'm talking about here think globally think about the Great Commission it's all about making disciples of all nations but as individuals very few of us can do that but what we can do is push people just down that scale locally as we go And I thought what Sarah said was awesome she didn't just pull a little bit of people there she pushed a whole load of people along there And it may not be necessarily obvious, but the Bible says, Matthew 25, at the end of time when God is separating the people as sheep are separated from goats, he says, you people over here, you can come into my kingdom because one thing, when you were hungry, you fed me. Sarah was feeding people and she was pushing people down this scale. And we can all do that. When we look at that list from Matthew 25, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was ill, you healed me. How many people here work for charities? How many people here work in the health service, whether it is as doctors or as nurses or as cleaners, whatever? All of you are doing God's work. And each interaction you do as you work for God is helping people move along this scale. In our conversation with our friends, with our neighbours, with our family, each time we meet someone, we can be pushing people along that scale. Small things, really quickly. Two things that I did. One, I was at work at one point, and a friend went around collecting raffle tickets. 
uh, sorry, trying to sell raffle tickets for some good cause. Can't even remember what the good cause was now. Really supported the cause, but I've got a thing about raffles. I think the Bible might say something about it. Certainly says something about being careful with your money. If you do raffles, that's fine. I was a bit unsure, but I said, here's some money. I don't want raffle tickets, but I want to donate to your cause. And my work colleague looked at me like I'd gone mad. But if a cause is worthy, why wouldn't we give and not try and do it only to expect something in return? Another time I'd been doing a new job for a little while and my boss came to me and said, you're a Christian, aren't you? I was slightly taken aback. And I said, why do you say that? And she said, it's just something about the way you talk to people and deal with people and go about your job. I'm a Christian and I think I recognise something of that in you. I think I got it right then, at least for part of it. And nobody else has done it, so I obviously don't get it right all that often. But I think in all those interactions that my boss had seen, I hopefully was moving people along the scale. One last thing, then I will be quiet, where I got it wrong. At one point, um, I was in church, and I was going to a church that had fresh flowers in the church every day, every week. Lovely thing. They look nice, they smell nice. And at one, at one week, somebody said, oh, there were no flowers in my garden this week, so I had to buy some flowers to bring into church. And in my head, I thought, what a waste of money. I mean, the flowers look nice, but is that actually furthering God's work at all? I wasn't sure it was, and I was really dismissive. The very next weekend, God's timing, of course. I went into church on the Saturday to do something, can't remember what it was, and a friend of mine was in there arranging flowers, and in my head, what a waste of time. And she says, you'll never guess where these flowers came from. I was cutting some flowers in my garden to bring them. And my neighbour saw me and said, oh, they'll look nice on your dining room table. And I said, I'm not cutting them for the dining room table, I'm taking them to church. And the neighbour said, what on earth are you going to church for? I thought you were, you know, sane person. And my friend was able to talk about what church was and who God was and who Jesus was and what a difference they'd made in their life. And then my friend invited the neighbour to church and the neighbour said, I can't come this Sunday, but I'll tell you what, I'll cut some flowers for my garden and you can take those and maybe I'll come the week after. I thought flower arranging, God couldn't use, God had other ideas. In non-structured ways, in chaotic ways, as you go about your life, try and move people along the scale because you've always got something in the house. Thank you. Invite the band up. Think globally, act locally. It seems to have stuck with us, doesn't it? For a few weeks ago. If you missed it, please check it out online. Sermon from Gordon a few weeks ago. Um, I'm going to invite the Spirit just to really uh, pinpoint, press in the areas that He's calling you to act locally. Whether it is cutting some flowers in your garden <laughs> and having that conversation, God will use you if you want to be used. And he'll take you where you're at, and he'll give you opportunities. Church, do you want to be used by God? Yeah? The best way to be used by God is to share who Jesus is. 
It's the most incredible thing in the world to be able to share Jesus with people. It will fill you up. It'll encourage you. But more importantly, you'll be doing what you've been commanded to do. I'm just going to invite the band to start playing and uh, just spend a minute or two just thinking where you can act, glo- act locally. It might lead to global, right? Severus <laughs> was acting locally and it grew and grew and grew. Who knows where that might go in the future? But God will use it. If you're prepared to offer it, God will use it. What have you got in the house? What have you got in the house? Just spend a minute or two just thinking about that. Allowing the Spirit just to press something in. thank you for your love for us Lord we don't take it lightly but Lord we are reconciled to be reconcilers we're called into the ministry of sharing you with the world and our world is here our world is our friends is our families our workspaces those places that we hang out in the pubs the clubs maybe the coffee houses that's the world we have been called to to us and we've all got something to give not least because we have the Holy Spirit but because Lord you know what you're doing and you have a grand plan forgive us for the times that we just think about our own inabilities our own insecurities the fact that we're worried about we're not good enough we're not clever enough I don't know the Bible enough all that other stuff Lord I thank you that you choose the foolish things of this world and Lord we are fools for you And you pour out your spirit into us. You've given us your spirit. You've equipped us with everything that we need. And you say, go. Act locally. That name, that person, that situation that we've just been thinking of. Holy Spirit, that's because you want that person to know you. And yet you look to us. For some reason, you look to us and you say, go on. Step out. Have that conversation. Give that invitation. Forgive that person. Apologize. Create a moment where I can break in. Holy Spirit, we ask that you break in. Not for selfish gain, but for your kingdom and for your mission. This is all about you. This is not a comfy club. This is all about you and your mission. worship you Lord it's easy to do that in the house it's easy to do that with the songs with our arms lifted high how easy is that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday how easy is that when we step out of the boat we bring others towards you 
fill us with boldness, fill us with your spirit again to overflowing. So that anyone who bumps into us just gets that spill out of you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Fill us to full. Fill us to overflowing.